everybody. I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. over here (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah it's been a a pretty crazy weekend full of lots of podcasty shit (laughs) yeah how how do you feel re do you feel (sighs) victorious in your in your conquest (laughs) i I feel like i'm ready to just get it recorded and then i'll see how i feel about it afterwards (laughs) (laughs) so for those of you that don't know this is re's first two-parter i'm like did i get him in the way was i not supposed to oh no 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 Yep, it's gonna be my first paranormal two-parter for y'all, so tune in today and come back next week for the second half of our story, but uh, mm-hmm. we're really excited. We saved this topic for spooky season to try to maximize our audience for it, since we're sure a lot of you out there are really excited and have been waiting for this topic, uh, but yeah, we are we're excited. We're looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. This is one of my favorite haunted locations that I've visited. Granted, I haven't visited many haunted locations other than like small little locations that aren't really known to anyone. Um, But yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. This is somewhere that I would love to go again, and I would actually love to spend the night in one of the more well-known rooms <laughs> that we'll talk about. Oh, man. I don't know if I could go well-known. There's so much shit going on in this whole place. I'm like, really? Any room in the building I'd be cool with because shit will probably happen. <laughs> but the well-known rooms, I'm like, that might be a little much for me to spend the night in. <laughs> my, uh, my Nana and I were actually planning to do something like that before she passed away. Actually, before she got sick. She oh. wanted to go spend the night at... Um, one of the rooms at this place and she was like so into it and I'm like okay we should schedule it we should get this and then she got sick so we didn't get to do it oh no so sorry yeah sorry to bring the mood down but (laughs) I'm like in her memory I I will go stay in one of the more haunted rooms and probably not sleep a wink through the night but (laughs) (laughs) I report back to haunting cases on what happened to you (laughs) Yes, yes. Once I can get a room scheduled and I have the money for it, yes, I will. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, I've actually never been to the location, um, so I definitely want to go visit visit it sometime and hopefully spend the night, too. But even just visiting for a tour or something would be awesome. So one Mm. day it will happen. (laughs) The tours themselves are really cool. I used to live only, like, maybe... I think max 45 minutes from it, maybe an hour. But yeah, we weren't too far away from this location. 
And it was a very popular destination for me for birthday parties and such. I'd go do tours up there. Yes, spooky birthday parties. Spooky birthday parties where only like maybe like five people would come with us or like three of my close friends. (laughs) Yeah, I bet a lot of people were like, uh, no, I do not want to go to your birthday party in a spooky place. No, thank you. (laughs) You want to go to a haunted place with me? And they're like, no, that sounds awful. That's how you find out who your true friends are. <laughs> Will you go to haunted places with me? That's the test. <laughs> That's the test. Will you go to this haunted location with me? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we got a lot to talk about today, listeners. And uh, I'm sure you're all dying to hear what the actual location is. <laughs> but before we do that, uh, Katie did say she's got a little story for us. So oh I want to open the floor to Katie before we go to our trigger warnings. <laughs> so keeping on the topic of spooky things, we all know that I don't like mirrors. I don't like clowns. <laughs> and I don't like fucking dolls. Those are my three things that I'm like, nope, I'm out the door. Goodbye. Good riddance. I wasn't even here. So (laughs) I go walking to my back door the other day and I'm looking outside because I have a bundle of bunnies that kind of like come and clean up my leftovers of like scraps from veggies that I have because I just throw them outside because I'm like, oh, I have my own disposal outside for food compress and stuff. So I don't have to throw it away. It works great. I have baby bunnies. They're really cute. They eat everything. We good. (laughs) so i went to go check and see if the water dish was still full out there because i live in satan's ass crack and everything evaporates within like two seconds (laughs) so i noticed that the water was getting kind of low and i like went to start to like head out the door and i looked to my left and i have like this little on like slot on my back porch that's covered and like for dinner parties and stuff if you go outside you could put a table out there or you could put a chair out there it's like a little nook on my porch and there's two lawn chairs that are sitting up against the wall like towards the outside of my house and back behind one i see this purple like flowy thing and then it dawns on me as I like glance upwards towards it and I squint a little bit because I don't wear my glasses when I'm at home. I know it's a horrible thing. I should probably wear them more often and I probably <laughs> will start wearing them more often <laughs> after what had just happened to me. <laughs> and <laughs> I look up and I noticed it's a doll. What? <laughs> it's a doll sitting there. Uh. It was there the other day. It wasn't there the other day. It wasn't there at all. So immediately, cue internal screaming because I'm like, where the fuck did you come from? I would have just um, cued external screaming at that point. <laughs> I think I had a little moment where I went <laughs> and like backed away from the door. And I'm like, I called my mom because I'm like, okay, this is something that my dad would do to me. He's put a red balloon in my fucking bedroom before after i got done seeing it in theaters and then like they've done some some pretty like mean pranks on me around the halloween season so i'm like i call her i'm like fucking full dumbledore mode of her did you put your name in the goblet of fire i went did you put a fucking doll in my backyard (laughs) and she goes what? I'm like, there's a doll on my back porch. Did you guys put it there? And she goes, 
a fucking what's on your back porch? I'm like, there is a doll on my back porch. I'm like, I'm staring at it. And about that time, it cues in on me that its head's tilted. And it's turned in a way that it's looking directly at my sliding glass door. Oh, so now rather than no. going the haunted route, I'm like, oh, dear fucking God, there's a camera in this thing, isn't there? Oh, so my dad's already on his way over to my house. He's coming to bring me some peas because I was making shepherd's pie or something like that for dinner. He's bringing me peas and something else. I think it was my salmon. And he walks in through the door and Dumbledore is still on a rampage. And I turn around and I look at him. I'm like, did you put a fucking doll in my backyard? (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, did I put a what? I'm like, no, no. Answer the question. He's like, that was a question. (laughs) He's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, well, there's a doll there. And I don't know how it got there because it sure as hell wasn't there yesterday. It's here today, though. And I pointed it out and I made him go out and, like, look at it. And he's like, oh, it's like one of those air freshener dolls that they would sell, like, down at, like, the flea market or the swap meet where it's, like, the pop-up air fresheners as the base. And it's used for, like, home decor smellies so it doesn't look so unsightly to have just the pop-up air freshener. And... He tilts that thing upside down. I see that. I'm like, why does it have no legs? Why does she have no legs? He's like, it's an air freshener. I'm like, it's taped shut. And he goes, it's an air freshener. I'm like, it's taped shut. I'm like, squish your head. Squish your head. See if there's anything in there. And she, he squishes it a little bit. I'm like, I'm not convinced that there wasn't a camera in there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm like, do you think there's a camera in there? Shake her a little bit. And he's like, there's nothing in here, Katie. And he starts walking back to my house with this fucking doll. I'm like, I don't no. want it in here. <laughs> I'm like, no, I close sir. the door real quick. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do with them? I'm like, get rid of it. <laughs> do not bring it into my house. That's what I want. <laughs> do not bring it into my house. So he went and threw it away. And thank God this is airing at the end of this Friday. Because if this bitch shows up again before the end of the week, I'm going to be traumatized. I'm going to be beside myself. Because there's no way that anyone else knows outside of me and my family right now. So if she shows up... <laughs> Then you know you got a possessed air freshener doll on your hands. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cut my ties. I'm gonna take it as the bad juju, and I'm fucking leaving. I'm moving. Goodbye. Oh my god. So that's oh. that's what's going on in my life right now. Is no, thank this you. haunted air freshener doll that was sitting on my back porch, just staring at my back window, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm not okay with any of this. I do not accept the energy. I do not accept this gift. Get it out of here. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I've heard a lot about haunted creepy dolls, but that's a new one. Never heard of an air freshener doll looking at somebody's back window. So that's a new one. <laughs> like I was freaked out for the rest of the day. I kept like walking back there. I'm like, is she going to reappear? Is she going to come back? She's not coming back, right? <laughs> And, like, even, like, when I open up, like, windows now, I'm, like, I look at it, I'm, like, she's not here, right? <laughs> We're okay, right? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, my mom's, like, well, maybe a flush pedestrian put it there. I'm, like, maybe a flush pedestrian put it there. And she's, like, well, maybe it was one of your neighborhood crackheads. I'm, like, 
It might have been a neighborhood crackhead. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not okay with it, though. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so that's what's happening on my side of things right now. Outside of paranormal happenings within my house, I'm like, damn, the veil be thinning. She be thinning hard in this year. <laughs> She decides to make a, a comeback. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'll hear about it no matter what. You'll hear about it. <laughs> if that she bitch better not come back. back. I'm gonna be like, where did you come from? Scoob, <laughs> Scoob, I want to go home. <laughs> Raggy, you are home. Uh, not this home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well, that's going to be a hard one to follow, but I'll do what I can. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Scary-ass fucking doll in my backyard. You, you can tell us on our, our Facebook or shoot us an email about how you think Carrie's... Carrie? Oh, my God. Carrie? Carrie. Oh, God. Maybe Carrie's the name of the doll. Carrie's the name of the doll now. <laughs> tell us what you think about Carrie. Tell us, tell us what you think about Carrie and how Carrie got there in Katie's backyard. To be fair, she has blonde hair, too. Like, oh, I think she's still go. in the trash yeah. can. I have not checked the trash can since I threw her away. Or had Dad throw her away. Because I peeked in there to make sure that he did it. I'm like, you fucking tossed it, right? I'm like, you're not going to use this against <laughs> me later. So, hopefully she's still in there. If she's not, I'm going to shit myself. But, <laughs> yeah, let us know what you think about Carrie the doll. <laughs> yes, let us know. And here come our trigger warnings. While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. episode we will be discussing cases involving children or teens these are cases that can be very disturbing to some listeners as always listener discretion is advised if you or someone you know has a child who has been victimized please call the proper authorities and look at missingkids.org or call the national center for missing and exploited children's hotline at 800-843-56 Seven, eight, for more helpful resources. Now, back to the show. Well, there's our, our spooky start for the episode. <laughs> Welcome back in, everybody. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed our ticker warnings. 
<laughs> We're going to try to make Katie forget about Carrie the doll for a little while. We're going to talk about something else. <laughs> I appreciate it. I really do. <laughs> and hopefully Carrie won't come haunt me in my nightmares, too. <laughs> I mean, I could take a picture of her. Do, oh. do we want pictures of Carrie the doll? Uh. On our Instagram. Part of me does, and part of me is just like, no, I, I don't want to ever set eyes upon it. <laughs> I won't physically touch it, so I gotta find something to actually grab it out of the <laughs> If she's still there, because if she's not there, I'm gonna fucking, like, I'll, I'll fucking evaporate then and there. I'll die. <laughs> I mean, you can because always that take a picture she's of her somewhere in the back trash around can. my property. So that you don't have to touch her. <laughs> no, I think my uh, I think my papa has some of those like old like grab a tools like for old people, so they don't have to bend over. I think I got one of those around here. There you go. There you go. That that's how you touch the creepy dolls you don't want to touch. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that works out. All right, let's all try to forget about Carrie now that we're all freaked out. (laughs) And let's start part one of two of the Stanley Hotel. (laughs) All right, so I would imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of the Stanley Hotel, but if you have not... Uh, The Stanley Hotel is claimed by many to be the most haunted hotel in America. And it is also the location that inspired Stephen King's The Shining. It is located in Estes Park, Colorado, and the hotel is about an hour's drive from Denver, Colorado. And it is a colonial revival style hotel with 142 rooms. So, as always, we will start with history of the location. How did this hotel get to be here? Uh, Is there anything in particular that's happened on the location that would lend to anything paranormal going on? So, since it's the Stanley Hotel, I thought we should start with a little bit about Mr. Stanley himself. So, Freeland Oscar F.O. Stanley and his twin brother Francis Edgar Stanley were born in Kingfield, Maine on June 1st, 1849. Uh, Freeland Oscar Stanley, from here on out, I'll just refer to him as Mr. Stanley, married Flora Jane Record Tileston in April of 1876. Now, he was well known for his business enterprises with his brother, perhaps best known for inventing the Stanley Steamer Car, but he was also well-known for carving violins, apparently of quality to be used in in concerts by professional uh, violinists, as well as uh, a number of other enterprises. However, his interest in these different businesses significantly dimmed when his brother, F.E. Stanley, passed away on July 21st, 1918 in Iowa after he drove his car into a wood pile, avoiding two farm wagons driving side by side on the road. Uh, In 1903, so backing up a little bit here from before his brother passed away, uh, Mr. Stanley was actually near death with tuberculosis, a disease we have talked quite a bit about on this podcast already. And his doctor told him to move to Colorado for the clean air. 
However, at that time, he was given only 6 to 12 months to live, 12 being very optimistic, and the prospects were not looking good. He was basically still expected to die, and this was just a last-ditch effort. So, Mr. Stanley and his wife, Flora, moved to Denver, uh, but it ended up being a little too hot and polluted to be comfortable, so they ended up settling in a cabin in the mountains, where suddenly he made a quick recovery to everybody's shock. Now, both Mr. Stanley and Flora fell in love with the mountains and ended up purchasing 8.4 acres of land in Estes Park in 1904. Now, a little bit bigger picture here, going forward to 1908, 21 parties, including a Mr. MacGregor, claimed that the fourth Earl of Dunraven had no right to own land in the Rockies because he was not a U.S. citizen forcing him to give up all of his land in the area that he had bought up to turn into a private hunting ground for himself and his wealthy friends from across the pond, a.k.a. in Britain. <laughs> At the time, he was one of the largest foreign landowners, with owning about 15,000 acres. And uh, Stanley comes in as a player here in that he had created the Estes Park Development Company with Mr. Sanborn, buying up all of Dunraven's land holdings once the U.S. government came down and said... Uh, Lord Dunraven uh, was not allowed to own this land as he was not a U.S. citizen. However, when Mr. Sanborn passed away, Mr. Stanley acquired ownership of 1,400 acres in Estes Valley. So that's definitely an important thing to remember when considering how he might use this land for the future in any sort of business. Now, by this point, uh, Flora, you know, the, she's been enjoying the, uh, living in the mountains but she's a proper woman from the East. She's used to an upper-class life, and she does not want to keep living in a rustic log cabin. <laughs> so she tells her husband, uh, you know, you can run your businesses out here, that's fine, but you better make me a nice household to live in, because I'm not going to keep living in this log cabin. <laughs> and so Mr. Stanley did end up building a four-bedroom house that they visited every year on that about eight-and-a-half-acre property that he had purchased. And when he, had, uh, I shouldn't say inherited, but when he came about the ownership of that 1,400 acres in Estes Valley, in addition to the small property he had for his home, um, it actually wasn't too far from his home now that I think of it, uh, he decided this would be the perfect spot to open a hotel and share this mountain experience with all of their wealthy upper-class friends back in the East. Thus came about the Stanley Hotel. Now we have the Stanley Hotel coming into the picture. Mr. Stanley hired Denver architect T. Robert Wigner and a contractor, Frank Kierkoff, to design and construct the hotel estate. And uh, one interesting fact I came across is uh, if any of you have ever seen the Stanley Hotel today, it's a very nice white color. And apparently it was originally painted a mustard yellow <laughs> when Stanley mm -hmm. opened it. Just a little interesting tidbit. Now, the whole estate complex included this main hotel, uh, what is now called The Lodge. However, at the time it was called The Stanley Manor, which was a, a smaller hotel. A concert hall, carriage house, two dormitories for the staff, an ice house, a laundry house, gatehouse, and a manager's house. Lots of houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, to build all of this, Mr. Stanley spent about half a million dollars in cash at the time, which today would be valued at about $13.5 million cash. 
So he was rolling in the dough. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, all his other business endeavors had definitely paid off. <laughs> that is a lot of money for back then. That was, that was <sighs> yeah. way too much money for back then. <laughs> a whole, whole lot of money. <laughs> uh. Wow. Now, Stanley, knowing that uh, if he's going to have all his upper-class friends come join him in the mountains, it's going to be very similar to how his wife didn't want something rustic and backcountry. They'd want something similar to what they're experiencing out east. So he worked very hard to have a hydroelectric system constructed to provide power to the hotel and all of Estes Park, which was considered to be, um, what's the word, very... I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but very kind uh, that he he didn't do this just for the hotel, that he allowed the whole town of Estes Park to also have power. However, since they couldn't measure electricity being used at that time, he instead charged them by the light bulbs. So he would sell all the light bulbs to Estes Park <laughs> residents. <laughs> it's like, you want power in your house? That's $50 for this one light bulb. <laughs> right? I just want to be able to see what I'm doing after dog. He's like, I don't care. $50. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was actually curious. Like, how much is he charging for these light bulbs? And I couldn't figure it out. I wish I I would really like to know. (laughs) The burning questions we have. (laughs) How much was it to buy a light bulb in Estes Park? Now, before, or not before, besides the light bulbs, he did also help establish a lot of other amenities for the Estes Park town, and that included a sewer system and the first bank in Estes Park, which he used his money and influence to do this to benefit both the hotel and the town as a whole. He also started a public-private road partnership with the state using $5,000 of his own money and encouraging others to put in money as well to create what is now the Colorado State Route 36, which is the main highway my family used to take all the time living in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> so he, his, uh, his reach definitely extended beyond Estes Park for sure. He also funded and encouraged Enos Mills to travel the country and campaign for conservation of the Rockies, which led to President Woodrow Wilson naming Rocky Mountain National Park as the 10th in U.S. history in 1915. So he he really cared about preserving the land as well and the wildlife on it. And it wasn't just the national park. He organized the creation of the Fall River Fish Hatchery, to make sure that the fish were being replenished in the area. Since this area had, uh, by the time he arrived, this area had been very severely hunted and fished Mm -hmm. and utilized. And so all these different wildlife populations really need to be restored. And on top of all that, he trucked in a bunch of Wahidi elk from Yellowstone on his Stanley steamer wagons to boost the population back to health in the Rocky Mountains, which I just can't get over that. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's... It's interesting because I used to go up to Estes quite a bit when I was younger and before I started getting like severely motion sick going up that canyon. Oh yeah. And it's it's gorgeous up there. Going up to the national park is a treat in itself. If you can do it, please go do it because the Rockies are absolutely beautiful and especially during like the fall, like right now. 
the colors are changing with the aspens up there and you still have elk that are kind of wandering around however in the past couple of years it has become like overpopulated with elk yeah definitely there's no shortage of elk nowadays by any means <laughs> but yeah definitely if anybody's in colorado right now go check it out that is for sure my favorite time of year to go to the rockies i that's why i love fall is the change in colors in the mountains and the aspens and all that i love mm-hmm. it so now would be the perfect time to go <laughs> All right, back to the Stanley Hotel. So the main hotel and concert hall ended up being completed in 1909, followed by uh, what was then called the Stanley Manor, that smaller hotel next to the Stanley Hotel, in 1910. And the funny thing is, he originally wanted to name the hotel actually after Lord Dunraven, so that that fourth Earl of Dunraven that bought up all this land and that the whole town conspired to get rid of him. And Stanley even like helped (laughs) well helped in terms of once they got rid of Lord Dunraven, he came in and and purchased the land. Uh, But (laughs) this was so unpopular that the town actually started a petition to instead have it named the Stanley hotel to which Mr. Stanley reluctantly obliged. <laughs> He's like, I wanted to throw shade at this man, and you will not let me throw shade. Why? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I kicked you off your land, and now I will name it after you. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously. Out of spite. <laughs> oh, all the spite. <laughs> Now, once everything was finally prepared, there was a soft opening of the hotel on June 22nd, 1909, as a resort for the upper class, with the grand opening following on July 4th of that year. On opening day, they hosted a convention of pharmacists, including 125 members and their wives, transported from Loveland in 22 Stanley steamers, a trip that took about five hours, which would take an hour today. <laughs> That's my hometown, baby! <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy that little fact. <laughs> First visitors to Stanley Hotel from the same place as you. <laughs> yes. Now, the hotel itself was extremely modern for its time, with running water, telephones, electric lights, bathrooms on each floor, and a whole staff of uniformed servants. This was the first all-electric hotel in the country, and he especially had this created a a whole fleet of specially designed Stanley Steamer mountain wagons that would transport visitors who arrived by train in Leon, Colorado, Longmont, Colorado, and Loveland, Colorado, up to Estes Park. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Pause, pause there for a moment. Did you say Leon, Colorado? Oh my gosh, Lion. Is that Lions? Lions. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for a good Leon here, but I think it's Lions. <laughs> Thank you, Katie, for the catch. Lion, Colorado. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. That's yeah. not right. I totally didn't even put a pronunciation in there because I was like, I know how to say that word. <laughs> apparently, I need a pronunciation, apparently. I'm like, my uncle lives over there, so I'm like, oh, that's not right. That's not where he lives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, below the, the hotel, they also had an underground tunnel 
originally it was cut out of the bedrock to help with the construction of the hotel, but they, it was shortly after expanded to allow for staff to enter the hotel underground when traveling in from the dormitories. So a little similar to when we think back to, uh, the sanatorium, san sanitarium, when we think back to the sanitarium, uh, how they had the, what well, was called the death tunnel, uh, that it was originally for construction, but later used by employees. Similar uh, idea here, a little less dark, where it was originally used for construction, but then became used by the staff, because at that time it was uh, considered not, not really impolite, probably more like improper uh, for the staff to be viewed by the guests coming and going. So they're really only yeah. supposed to be seen when they're on duty in uniform doing their thing. So this tunnel mm -hmm. was used for that purpose. So, what was offered to guests when they came to stay at Mr. Stanley's hotel? Now, Mr. Stanley gifted his wife, Flora, a Steinway grand piano so that she could regularly host concerts in the concert hall. And as far as I know, now that piano is now located in the music room of the main Stanley mm -hmm. Hotel. But it still is definitely there. They also had all sorts of things to do for their guests. They had a golf course installed so they could play golf, uh, horseback riding, tennis courts, bowling in the concert hall basement, a trap shooting range, scenic rides in the Stanley Steamers, and a small airfield offering scenic plane rides. That is, until a female guest about had a heart attack when the plane almost crashed in the gusty mountain winds, at which point the air rides were quickly canceled and the airfield was shut down. <laughs> You're like, yes, this will be a great idea. Oh, wait, we cannot land the plane, so no longer a good idea. <laughs> Didn't quite go according to plan, unfortunately. Thanks, <laughs> B. Close the airfields. Rip up that that tarmac we don't need that anymore <laughs> put in a garden <laughs> right make it pretty make it look like it was never there <laughs> now the stanley hotel charged five to eight dollars per day or 84 dollars per week uh for a stay at the hotel which was much more expensive than other hotels of its day Nonetheless, this hotel was not a money-making venture by any means. Mr. Stanley actually lost money on it, uh, but he had so much money to spend from all of his other financial endeavors that he kept the hotel running simply because he enjoyed it. All right, so now let's get a little bit more into just the more general history of the Stanley Hotel itself. So in 1926, Mr. Stanley sold the hotel to a private company but he ended up having to buy it back in 1929 when it foreclosed before selling it again in 1930 to Roe Emery of Denver, who already owned a number of hotels. The hotel did close for a period of time during World War II, uh, but besides that, most of the years it, it's been open. Now, Flora ended up passing away on July 25th, 1939, in their home in Estes Park after having a stroke in the hotel lobby, and this was following 11 years of suffering with a debilitating case of blindness and what was believed to be bipolar disorder. Oh, man. Yeah, it sounds like it was very rough for sure for her. Now, Stanley did make a rule once he realized that she was blind, since she at first didn't actually tell him. Uh, 
he made a rule to all the staff in both their household and in the hotel that no furnishings could be moved so that she could keep up this presentation of being a powerful, wealthy woman with relative independence and not have to worry about having somebody guide her around or having to publicly indicate she was blind as she traversed her home and the hotel. Now, Stanley passed away shortly after Flora on October 2nd, 1940, at the age of 91 from heart complications in Newton, Massachusetts. And that was after surviving tuberculosis, which is much more that could be said for a lot of people back then. So he definitely had Mm -hmm. a long life after what he went through. The hotel continued to change hands many times over the years, as, like I said, it was not making money. And the main hotel itself was only open during the summer as it was not heated until 1984. However, the Stanley Manor was open during the winter as it was heated. So that brings us to about the 1970s. By now, the condition of the hotel has really declined. It's getting to the point where it's looking like it's probably going to be demolished because it just has not been kept up over the years since they just were not bringing in enough income to really do... Uh, proper upkeep on the building. Uh, But one famous guest changed all of that. In 1973, Stephen King visited with his wife, Tabitha, when bad weather struck as they were traveling through the mountains. He had to actually convince the hotel to let them stay as it was the last night of the open season and the Kings would be the only guests in the hotel for that night. Stephen and Tabitha King were placed in room 217, which has since then become the most requested room, now complete with a library of Stephen King books. King has never really spoken on exactly what happened during his visit to the Stanley Hotel, but it is rumored that he had a nightmare of a fire hose chasing his toddler through the hotel and that he may have encountered multiple ghosts, especially those of two little girls. It is also rumored that the Kings returned to their room after walking about the hotel and found their suitcases unpacked and put away when no one had been in the room. Ultimately, whatever happened, Stephen King's stay at the Stanley Hotel inspired him to write his famous book, The Shining. And while we're on the topic, quick mention that The Shining movie with Jack Nicholson was not actually filmed at the Stanley Hotel at all. However, the miniseries uh, was filmed at the Stanley Hotel as Stephen King was not particularly happy with the first rendition of his story and wanted to play a part in uh, how the second rendition was filmed. So he made sure that the second one, uh, the miniseries, was filmed at the Stanley. And even going as far, like, to add on to that too, like, most of Stephen King's books take place in either Colorado or in Maine. Oh, so like, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a very common destination for his uh, settings in his books. Like, I think another really popular one is Castle Rock. I even think it's part of what happens in The Stand, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't read The Stand in a while, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. His most popular settings, and according to Google, because I had to re-Google this just to make sure that I was right, Castle Rock (laughs) is a setting for four major Stephen King novels, and not to mention quite a few short stories and novellas. Wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Colorado seems to be the second most common setting for King's books after Maine. Huh. Well, there you go. So apparently Colorado's (laughs) just 
haunted and creepy as fuck, according to uh, Steve. Apparently, it was very inspirational for a lot of creepy, uh, fucky wucky horror things. <laughs> fucky wucky horror things. miniseries the stanley was still in pretty poor condition and in need of renovation so the hotel gladly accepted the filming on scene as it included freshly painting the white walls in the lobby with faux bois uh fake wood (laughs) uh to appear as if they were made of wood they also added a stage in one of the rooms and did some other things for the movie that from what I read in the eyes of the hotel manager at the time, it was basically like, go ahead and do some renovations that we don't have to pay for. <laughs> because <of> the- <laughs> it was just one of those things. <laughs> and since Stephen King's visit and the recent release of his book and the two productions based on the book, the hotel grew dramatically in popularity and this saved the Stanley from the wrecking ball. So we can all say thank you to Stephen King for that. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. King. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'd say that concludes the bulk of the history I will cover. I do want to, before we move into all the paranormal things, as usual, cover any tragic events or deaths that have been recorded as happening on site, as that can definitely uh, lead to paranormal activity. So, from what I read, there's no exact records of murder, suicide, or outright violent crimes on the property. Uh, seems pretty benign, more like your average hotel. Uh, however, there was a few incidences of e- either people passing away or something tragic happening on site. So, the first would have to be in June 1911... Uh, when a bad storm took out the power. Now, Mr. Stanley had made sure to have an auxiliary gas system installed so that if this ever happened and the electricity went out, they could still light the hotel using a more traditional method. And so at this point, uh, excuse me, I should have said that was June 25th. Uh, On June 25th, Elizabeth Wilson was charged with going around and lighting the gas lamps in many of the rooms. Now, sources do not agree on her exact name there's a few different names kind of floating around for this woman but elizabeth wilson is the one i found in most of the sources so that's the name i'm going to go ahead and use and refer to her as Uh, the true haunting lady is actually brought up as well that it might have even been that she intentionally requested her name not be used in some of the articles about this incident because she didn't want her reputation to be harmed since a lot of the names in the articles at the time were similar they'd call her Lizzie or slightly changed the last name so it was similar but not exactly the same so it might have even been more of a courtesy than anything not not so much a mistake on their part so back to our our situation here we have the powers out and the auxiliary gas system has been turned on now this is before any scent was added to acetylene gas so there's no order in it to detect it And so when Elizabeth was going around lighting all these lamps, she had no idea that there was a gas leak between the McGregor room and the second floor. When she went to light the gas lamp in room 217, which if you have not forgotten, that would be the room that Stephen King would later stay in. 
The cloud of invisible gas caught and an explosion rattled the entire building. Elizabeth Wilson was hurled to the first floor, breaking both of her ankles and receiving a concussion, putting her into a coma. Newspapers differ on the exact details of the incident as to how many others were injured besides her. Some sources have stated there was seven black waiters injured. Uh, others state two and another says four. So not sure exactly how many waiters were injured since it was the dining room directly below this room that she flew into and a lot of debris fell into. Uh, but definitely at least a few other people were injured that were on the staff. Regardless, though, all mm -hmm. sources indicate that none of the guests were injured in this calamity. The total cost of repairs turned out to be about $60,000. So quite a bit of money back then. Still a bit of money nowadays, but definitely a lot of money back then. <laughs> Woo! And uh, I would have to say that probably makes sense because it's, uh, in one of the sources it stated, it took about took off about 10% of the hotel was completely destroyed by this blast. Oh my god. Yeah, it was very, very serious for sure. Now, Mr. Stanley felt absolutely horrible about this happening to one of his employees. So he paid for Elizabeth's medical expenses and also offered her a room in the Stanley Hotel to recover in free of charge. And after she made a full recovery, she actually continued working at the Stanley until her death in 1951 at the age of 90. I mean, it sounds like uh, Stanley was very accommodating to his staff. So that's that's a good sign. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it was hopefully a good working environment. If she, After all that happened, if she still wanted to come back and work for the rest of her life. Now, as far as deaths that are recorded to have happened at the Stanley Hotel... Perhaps one of the most tragic was the case of Lucy, a girl of about 12 or 13 years, who was believed to be a homeless runaway mm. who had crawled into the basement of the concert hall. I don't have an exact year of when this was, uh, so I'm not sure how long ago this was. Uh, and it's, I couldn't even find exact records proving this, but it seems to be commonly accepted that this did happen. Now, she had crawled through a window into the basement during a cold winter in the Rocky Mountains. However, by the time she was found, she had already passed away from cold exposure. There was also a couple other deaths uh, in the hotel. Another one that is, again, not a hard record that it happened, but multiple sources indicate that it did. There is believed to be a little girl named KT who died at age 10 from tuberculosis on the fourth floor. And then a caretaker, uh, Paul, who passed away near the concert hall of a heart attack. So that's all our history and events that have happened leading up to nowadays. <laughs> so now we can dig into a little bit of the paranormal activity that is going on at the Stanley Hotel. So I'm going to try to take it uh, floor by floor in the main building, and then after that, we'll get to the rest of it. So first off, let's start with the first floor. Uh, just at the start here, this is more of a general story. Uh, I read one really touching story in the history and haunting of the Stanley Hotel by Rebecca F. Pittman, which I should have mentioned at the top as well. That is one of my biggest sources for this episode, so definitely go check it out. I am just scratching the surface of the Stanley Hotel in these two episodes. There is so much more historical information and so much more paranormal information than I could even 
possibly begin to cover in this podcast. So if you're interested in learning more, definitely go check that out. I'll be sure to drop that in the show notes. Now, the story that I read that really touched me uh, was about a woman named Loretta and her husband, Sam. They visited the hotel before he had to go to war, and at the time, he promised to bring her back as soon as he returned. However, he never came home. After she had remarried, was widowed again after having three kids, and was much older, she did make it back to the Stanley Hotel as she had promised to do so once with her husband, Sam. And to her surprise, she found the spirit of her first love there. Now, a housekeeper actually spoke to her about this because she had been seeing uh, Loretta wandering around the hotel. At first, she thought maybe she was just speaking somebody to somebody on the other side of a door. But then when she noticed she was walking down hallways, obviously talking to somebody who she could not see, the housekeeper did eventually approach her and ask her about this. And... Uh, Loretta said that she had ended up moving to Estes Park so that she could visit the Stanley Hotel regularly to speak with the spirit of her first husband, who, in a twist of fate, found a way to come back and meet her at the Stanley Hotel just as he had promised before he was killed. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) that one really hit me in the heart. I was like, oh. (laughs) So I wanted to share that story before I I get into more of a uh, detailed breakdown of a lot of the rooms on the first floor. And another general note as well, uh, this happened in a lot of the different rooms rather than say it in every single room. I figured I'd just say it at the top. A lot of accounts were of cameras slowing down to the point where the shutter speed was so slow that the images would come out blurry or wouldn't take at all. Uh, it seems like this was definitely happening in the lobby, but it was also happening elsewhere in the hotel, especially in spots where there's a lot of paranormal activity. So we do see a lot of that happening where, uh, like some of our previous cases, where photo cameras are just not working right in these paranormal hotspots. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so let's start with the main lobby. So from the main lobby, uh, staff have reported seeing wicker chairs rocking on their own out front when there is no wind. Mr. Stanley's ghost has been seen walking in the lobby, and there's also been multiple reports of him watching the clerks at the front desk, (laughs) making sure they're doing a good job. (laughs) And back when the Shining filmmakers had been filming, they actually left a red blood stain, well, fake blood stain, I should say that, (laughs) a fake red blood stain (laughs) on the rug in the lobby. And after this point, there was an account of one time where Mrs. Stanley's portrait, which hangs on the wall next to Mr. Stanley's portrait right behind the front desk, her portrait flew off the wall and landed on the stain, at which point the staff took that to be a message from Flora's spirit that perhaps she wants them to do a better job of looking after the hotel, and they promptly cleaned up the stain and didn't have any issues with that photo frame thereafter. Now for the McGregor room. Uh, This was originally the dining room back when the Stanley Hotel first opened up, and so it's directly connected to the kitchen. Now cooks will often be in the kitchen and hear sounds of a party going on in this room. However, when they go check it out, there's never anybody there. There's a lot of feelings of being watched. Uh, reports of uh, two employees that were standing and talking to each other suddenly had an apparition appear between them, (laughs) which I imagine was very startling. (laughs) I mean, leave room for Jesus, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 
that would definitely like get a leg up on me. I'd be like, oh, hello. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one thing when you're alone and something happens, but when you're like talking to somebody and all of a sudden there's somebody else in between you, it's like, oh, why hello there. <laughs> Billy Ward, a concierge, uh, was working a night shift once in this room, and books started flying off the shelf. <laughs> However, that did not deter him. He said he kept working there at night shift after that. <laughs> 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 there is an account of a few guests saw streaking lights darting around the pines outside at night, uh, seen through the window. In a very unnatural manner, so it wasn't in a way that appeared to be headlights or anything that would be expected. It seemed very unnatural. So that definitely jumped out at me as something a little unusual, a little less traditional apparitions, almost leaning into, like, more UFO side of things, but <laughs> thought I'd throw it in there. The lighting fixtures in the McGregor room are known to swing on their own, even though they're a very heavy sort of lighting fixture, not the kind that would normally move on its own if a, a breeze blew through the room. They also have been known to turn off and on by themselves, especially that I've read multiple reports of employees when it's, they're the last one on the night shift and they're turning off all the lights for the night. They'll get everything turned off, leave, get to their car, and they turn around from the parking lot and they can see the McGregor room light is turned back on. So, apparently somebody doesn't want to spend the night in the dark in the McGregor room. <laughs> or they're not ready to leave yet. They're still having a good time. Oh, that that could be. That could be. Maybe they're having that party. They're like, look, I'm waiting for you to get out of here so I can start my ghostly party. <laughs> so I can start my ghostly bash. My boo bash. <laughs> Eat some all bash. We can do the bash. monster mash. <laughs> <laughs> that was a graveyard smash. <laughs> Now, in addition to uh, these experiences, there's been multiple experiences where people have reported hearing kids playing and running around in the McGregor room when there's no kids around, or in some cases, no kids even checked into the hotel at the time. And uh, a couple experiences in particular that I found really interesting. One was during a wedding. It didn't list the year. Uh, but the tablecloth flew off one of the tables, complete with dishes and glasses on it, as if somebody had grabbed it and yanked it off. <laughs> so talk about a way to make a wedding exciting. <laughs> Mazel tov, but damn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and a little bit of an older experience here. So this is from a housekeeper who was working there in December of 1979. Now she had been tasked with waxing the floors for the New Year's Eve ball coming up. And so she was uh, busy working away and actually sit, well not sitting, uh, crouched out on the stage, waxing the stage at the time when all of a sudden she could hear behind her this murmur, like the sound of a bunch of people in a room. So she looked behind her and all of a sudden there's this whole crowd of people in old fashioned dress uh, around like early 1900s. We're talking sitting at tables dining. And this had not been the dining room for quite a few years by that point. 
they did not notice her, and so she just did her best to ignore them and finish working, which kudos to her. I don't think that would have been my reaction if I turned around and there was a whole <laughs> room of people there that weren't there a minute ago. <laughs> I'd be like, I, I'm, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna tap out. I know, right? I feel like, I think I'm done working for the night. <laughs> I think somebody else requires the space more than I do, so I I will let y'all have it. Right? Exactly. (laughs) That makes me question, though. Like, we brought up on the podcast before the idea that ghosts are simply just slips in the time loop. Yeah, for sure. Definitely brings me back to that of, like, wow, a whole crowd of people. Not just, like, a few, but, like, a crowd yeah, that's what was really startling about this one for me is most of the time when you think of having some sort of ghostly encounter, it's one person, maybe two or three. You rarely ever hear about somebody witnessing a whole crowd of spirits. So that seems very unusual. And especially if we think about how it's commonly discussed. Uh, obviously, we don't know that much about the paranormal. <laughs> but since there's a lot of discussion usually about like, oh, a ghost will present itself once it draws energy from the room, whether that is electronic devices or something else. And it takes energy to be able to form that physical manis- manifestation, uh, forming an apparition. So if you consider that as well, it would be really difficult for a whole crowd of ghosts to just suddenly appear out of thin air. And so that definitely, yeah. um, I think, would be decent I don't want to say evidence since we obviously don't know 100% what's going on here but that would definitely point towards more of that theory of is are we not so much seeing ghosts but a slip in in time basically for sure mm-hmm. I wonder if they saw her too yeah it from what she described as far as she could sell say look excuse me as far <laughs> as she described Uh, As far as she could tell, they did not seem to notice her at the time. They were just going about their business, eating dinner, talking to each other, acting like she wasn't there. So it seemed as if they could not see her. But at the same time, she's also just somebody cleaning the floor. And so I almost think about that as well. Even if you think nowadays, a lot of people don't really pay much attention to people who are just cleaning up or kind of that staff working behind the scenes. And especially... Uh, going back to when this hotel opened, I mean, they had a lot of servants for the upper class that were looked down upon and seen as less than, basically. So in in that regard, I mean, I'm not even sure they would have really paid much attention to her if they did see her. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you got a point. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I just want to know, I'm like, did up. she look ghostly to them too? Like, <laughs> I know, it right? one of those things that's like, if if we ignore it, it will go away. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. And this was a really strange occurrence as well, because she was working at waxing for quite a while. If I remember correctly, it was like two hours she was waxing the floors with these people just dining around her. And she finally got so unnerved that she was like, I'm going to go to the front desk and ask them if they can hear all these people just talking in there just nonchalantly. (laughs) And so she walked up to the clerk, the night clerk, and asked like, hey, do you hear anything strange coming from that room? And the night clerk was like, oh no, like nothing weird. 
weird. Like I was going to play the radio, I think, but it's not working or whatever. And so I've just been sitting here. It's been dead silent. <laughs> and like, she could clearly hear when she was near that room, the sound of what sounded like a bunch of people, you know, chowing down, having dinner and talking. <laughs> so she just didn't say anything about it. And she went back in there. And apparently when she walked back in, they were gone. So then she, I guess she was probably just like, okay, cool, whatever. And she went back to work. But within a few minutes, they just appeared again and stayed for a whole nother, like, two hours. So it was a total of almost four hours of this crowd of ghosts just chilling and eating dinner while she's waxing the floors. She's just waxing the floors. She's like, I, at least I have company. All right. At least I'm not alone. Oh my god. Listening in on the gossip from a hundred years ago, like, yeah. Seriously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. This Jane Doe over here really had really had some secrets. <laughs> She's getting all the deets at the dinner table. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so this this was definitely, of everything I read, something that really jumped out at me. And as we continue to discuss the Stanley Hotel, there's actually a couple other occurrences reported that were kind of similar in nature to this, where it's almost like a step back in time. Uh, which that in itself is a whole topic I will probably do an episode on at some point, since there's a lot of these experiences people have had where they feel like they basically stepped back in time in a location. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. we'll leave it there for now, though. <laughs> And then finally for the McGregor room, there's also accounts of the door between the kitchen and uh, what was at the time the dining room opening and closing by itself. All right. So we will move on to the music room. So this is where last I heard from my research, the piano was located. But then I, when I was doing some last minute digging for this episode, I did realize it sounds like they've done some renovations since then. So I don't know if the historic piano is still in there, but I'm sure they have the piano somewhere. But in any case, uh, this was historically would have actually been called the parlor. So this would have been where the women would spend most of their time when this was the original Stanley Hotel. And so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind when you think about what kind of spirits are here, what kind of activity you're seeing. Now, Mm -hmm. one of the ghosts that is seen the most in this room would be actually the spirit of Flora Stanley herself. She's been seen gazing out of the windows and sitting at the piano playing music. Often, these sightings are accompanied by the smell of roses, which was Flora's favorite flower. And some people have even questioned if perhaps that might even be her perfume that people are smelling, not even just roses in general, but maybe she wore a rose-scented perfume. Uh, however, there's also a lot of uh, experiences where people state they feel melancholy either when they see her spirit or when they smell the roses. And some people have wondered if that's because of her struggles with blindness and with mental health, especially in her later years. Mm-hmm. All right. Another older report here so another one in the music room here in the early 1980s the night manager at the time john heard music in the room and saw the lights were on but it was 11:30 p.m so there was not supposed to be anybody at the room at the time so he walked in to see what was going on and as soon as he entered the room the piano he saw i should say he saw the piano keys were moving but no one was there playing the piano And it stopped as soon as he entered. And this is not the only report of this happening. There's actually numerous reports I read of this happening 
much more recent as well. So not just the 1980s, the 2000s as well of just different staff members at different times of day will be alone at the front desk or whatever and hear the piano playing and go check it out and there's nobody there playing the piano and even some of the visitors have reported that as well where they they'll be in the lobby uh either waiting for service or walking around looking at some of the historical uh things in the lobby you can look at and they'll hear a piano playing and so they'll go peek in to see if maybe there's a show going on or or who's playing and there's nobody there so that's definitely a very common haunting of the music room is the piano playing by itself mm-hmm. as well as it playing by itself for those who have been brave enough to actually try to sit at the piano <laughs> they are often pushed away by an unseen force so it definitely seems like flora is probably pretty protective of her piano <laughs> i mean i would be too a steinboy oh, yeah. is a magical fucking instrument it is unique on itself yeah and i mean that's the one original to the to the stanley hotel that's an old fucking piano so i'd definitely be like mm, stay away yeah. from my piano <laughs> <laughs> Get away from her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, there is uh, a very compelling photo of a spirit of a woman in an old-fashioned gown with her hair up, sitting at the piano, with another spirit of a girl, also dressed accordingly in more of an old-fashioned look, standing nearby, and orbs near them. That was probably one of the best photos I've seen looking through uh, the book and what all's in there. I don't know if I can hunt it down online anywhere so I'll see if I can find another copy of that as I don't, I can't really pull it out of the book. Uh, but if I'm able to find another source that I can grab that photo for Instagram, I will. If not, like I said before, definitely check that book out that I mentioned earlier. Totally worth reading. They have a lot of really cool photographs in it. And then finally for the music room, it is, I believe this is from a psychic, but I'm not sure. Um, it's believed that there's a young girl spirit named Elizabeth who also haunts the music room, who perhaps could have been the little girl in the photograph, but she prefers to be called Beth. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the bar and restaurant. So it is now the Cascades bar and restaurant, uh, but it's uh, had some different names since its creation so there was a probably one of the earliest reports was from the 1900s it didn't list a year of when it occurred my guess would be late 1900s but the book i got this out of was published in like i think 1999 uh but in any case he had been eating at one of the tables having dinner when he noticed there was this elderly woman sitting at one of the other tables and she kept putting her ear up to the wall and listening and then giggling and writing notes in her book. <laughs> and I'd really like to know which wall it was she was listening to. <laughs> like, what room is she listening in on? That's I'm what sorry, I want to know. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that That in itself, like, I wouldn't be so much like, I mean, I'm not really afraid of the ghost there, but, like, for her to, like, be like, whispering to herself and then putting your ear up to the wall and then going <laughs> and then like writing something down that would be enough to send a shiver up my spine of like oh dear god what is she laughing at i know right 
the laughing part, I think, is the worst. Like, if she was just listening and writing, it'd be like, okay, that's some weirdo, like, listening on somebody's conversation. But the fact that she's, like, also giggling, it's just like, ugh. It's another layer to that whole, like, onion stew that's going over there. She's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm listening to somebody else's business and I'm making it my own, but <laughs> it's like, is it, is it a high pitched giggle? Is it a low chuckle? Because honestly, like what, let's just put it this way. There are different laughs for different scenarios of what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, when I am a sheep, <laughs> when I am mischievous as fuck, re knows this, the gremlin laugh comes out. Okay, <laughs> that is a dead giveaway that I'm about to do something that's like shit eating good. Okay, like it's <laughs> it's gonna be a spectacle to see. You best follow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, and I definitely when I read that too, I, my initial reaction is I wouldn't just see that and be like, oh, okay, whatever. Because in the story of the portrayal of his experience, he very much talks about it as if it's just like, oh, it's just some old lady sitting at a table waiting for her dinner and, like, doesn't really seem concerned at all about what she's actually doing. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, I'd be a little concerned. Like, um, excuse me? <laughs> and then on top of that, like, I guess he had his dinner. He left. He came back a couple days later, saw her doing it again, and that's when he finally approached the the bartender and was like, excuse me, I noticed this elderly woman over there has been sitting there like two times now and she's never served. Like, that's what he was concerned about is that the the waiters were ignoring her, not that she's listening to the wall and giggling. <laughs> He's like, have you guys fed this woman? Is she just going crazy still waiting for her meal over there? <laughs> she's like, I wouldn't be concerned about her getting her dinner. I'd be concerned about what the fuck she's writing down in her book and laughing about. <laughs> but, uh, I'd be but like, I would walk past that table and in my nosy, like, disconcerned look, I'd like peek up over and see what the hell she's writing down. I'm like, what the hell are you? What, what is so fucking funny? Because I want in. What is funny? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, and that's when he, he approaches the bartender is when the bartender says, basically, like, I don't know what you're talking about. There isn't an elderly woman there. And that's when he looked back and she wasn't there. And there was nowhere for her to have gone. <laughs> she was just gone. <laughs> that's the joke. She's like, I'm going to make you think that you're crazy. And then you're going to ask about it. And you really are going to look like you're crazy. That's the joke. That could be she's having she's a blast at. with it. <laughs> She's having a blast with it. She's laughing at you. <laughs> Just enjoying herself in the afterlife, fucking with us living people, getting confused and concerned about her getting her dinner. Oh my gosh. It's me. It's a ghost. <laughs> oh god. Oh, oh man. Yeah, so that one that one was another one that definitely jumped out at me. <laughs> Uh, a few other reports from the restaurant and bar area, as well as the kitchen. Uh, there was another report from the 1900s, again, not a specific year listed, I'm assuming late 1900s, of Lisa, a bartender who is alone behind the bar taking inventory of all the spirits with all of the doors locked, so there shouldn't be anybody else in the room but her. When she heard someone walk into the room. So at this point, she's assuming it's an employee because who else could just 
open the door and walk in. And so she let them know, like, hey, I'm in the middle of something. I'll be right with you. And heard them start, like, the way she described it is they weren't even playing the piano. They would just, like, hit a key here, a key there, just casually, like, tapping keys on the piano. And so she told them, like, hey, there's music. If you want to play some piano music, feel free. And then silence. So she just thinks, like, okay, they, they left, whatever, and she keeps doing her thing. Then she starts hearing the keys again. And so she said, okay, like, one minute, I'm still here. <laughs> and she pops up, and there's nobody there. Nobody there playing the piano. <laughs> That's ominous as fuck. That's, like, I don't know. I get the feeling of, like, impatience off of that. Like, maybe get out of my space. Yeah, I don't know. When they talk about, like, in the music room with Flora playing the piano, that seems much more like, oh, somebody's playing nice music and enjoying the space. Like, that's very different from this, which mm-hmm. is much more like this awkward, like, tapping of the keys that isn't really playing music. It's just kind of fidgeting with the piano and then the awkward pause and then doing it again. Like, I'm still here. Like, I don't like that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I want to go. I, I want to go sit when Flora's playing. Like I, I'll go sit in there, okay? Right. Yeah, I'll listen to Flora. I'm cool with that. But but this one, I don't know about this one. <laughs> Maybe they're looking for somebody to do like um. Oh God, what is that song that everybody used to play on the piano? Like when the keyboards came out in middle school, we all we all played this song. It was either um. Hot Cross Buns or oh. Heart and Soul? It's Heart and yeah. Soul. It's Heart oh, and Soul. My class played Hot Cross Buns. That's, that was ours. <laughs> yeah, Heart and Soul was mine all the freaking time. And whenever any of us saw a piano anywhere, it was immediate. We'd all rush over to it, and two of us would sit down and do Heart and Soul. Oh, my gosh. See, at least it was the teachers a song, used to get though. so tired of us. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if if that was the afterlife, just hearing Cart and Soul all the time, I'd definitely get tired of it too. But again, at least it'd be a song. It wouldn't be like the awkward tapping of the keys. That's what gets me. It's like obviously, like kids are going up there, so I I presume. I presume, because I was probably one of these kids, and it's just fallen off of the core memory chart of running up to one of those pianos in the Stanley Hotel and deciding I'm going to play Heart and Soul. (laughs) So maybe this ghost is like waiting for the partner to come up, and they're like, I'm waiting. Come on. All right. Come on. Where is my partner to play my duet? Could be. Could be just a, a lonely ghost looking for somebody to play the piano with. <laughs> right. All right. So as far as what else is going on at the bar, Mr. Stanley, this is another place where he makes a lot of appearances, uh, often leaning against the bar when the staff is closing up for the day, just kind of overseeing it, making sure everything's done properly. So he definitely takes his job very seriously, even in the afterlife. <laughs> And uh, there's also been, so in the the bar r- room, or I shouldn't say bar room, where the bar is, there is a mirror as part of the bar. And I know how you feel about mirrors, <laughs> And so, of course. No, I know exactly what room this is. And I used to, like, dart across it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there's uh, there's actually two rooms with mirrors, so maybe there's two rooms you need to watch out for. <laughs> there might have been two rooms that I was darting across, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I just remember mirrors make me uneasy. And, like, as a kid, I used to look at them a lot. But as I got older, I'm like, nah. <laughs> nah, nah, bro. <laughs> nah, bro. I so. think I'm good. <laughs> There was one such event with the mirror. So in 2004, a bellman named Mark Lorenz had heard footsteps uh, coming from this area. And this is at 10.30 p.m. where there shouldn't be anybody in the bar area at this time. So he went ahead and investigated to see if perhaps somebody got lost or, you know, maybe an employee's cleaning up late at night or something. And looking at the, the mirror, he can see the reflection of a woman in the bar area. So he enters the room to go speak to this woman, and there's no woman there. <laughs> Don't worry, there'll be more of that, Katie. <laughs> I, I hate it because I've also had similar experiences in my own homes. So it's like... It's it's a super uneasy feeling. It's not the same level as having two mirrors face each other, but it's pretty damn yeah. close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not a fan of the spooky stuff mirrors. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I, I mean, honestly, now that I think about it, the bar is pretty much the mirror is centered in the middle of the bar. The bar's around the mirror, basically. So maybe that's where some mm -hmm. of all this uh, activity is coming from at the bar, is you have the mirror, and there's that whole idea of the mirror collects energy because it's constantly collecting people's reflections in it. So that almost makes me wonder if it could be making the activity in this area spike. But as far as things happening at the bar, another thing that's been known to happen in that area is glasses will sometimes fall off the shelves at the bar and uh one common thing that's been reported multiple times is it will sound like ice is being scooped out of the ice machine even though nobody's there to scoop any ice <laughs> which i thought that was pretty interesting i was like okay i don't think there was ice machines back well obviously there was not ice machines when the hotel opened <laughs> so either the old ghosts are growing accustomed to new things or this is a more recent ghost like okay okay uh, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be mad about my ice getting refreshed because breaking those chunks up with like the like scoopulas you have, oh dude, that breaks your hand. That sucks. But yeah, if somebody if if a ghost is willing to break up that ice for me, I would not be mad. <laughs> would not be mad. There's also an occurrence where there's been uh, reports of glasses sliding down and then back up the bar with nobody touching them and it's not slicked or wet where they should be sliding around on their own and in the kitchen so not in the bar area but in the kitchen nearby uh there's been whispers an employee kept having her apron untied while she was doing the dishes which let me tell you that would annoy the heck out of me <laughs> oh my god that's so rude i know i'm like leave my damn apron alone that's all i'm asking for <laughs> And then, I forgot to put in my notes, but uh, going off of memory, there was one particular story that was really interesting where it was a few employees, uh, excuse me, one particular story that was interesting, where it was a few employees sitting at the bar late at night, kind of just chatting before they're going to leave for the night, and they kept hearing the door open and close between the kitchen and the old dining room, so that would have been the McGregor room. And uh, 
it was one of those things, you know, where there's a group of you and somebody's like, hey, did you hear that? And everybody's like, no, I didn't hear that. And it just kind of keeps going back and forth where people just start making fun of you and they're like, hi, you're like, you're freaking out over nothing. And then eventually other people start hearing it and then they're like, oh, oh, wait, oh. <laughs> like one of those situations. I love those situations. They're great. <laughs> those, those did you great hear that? No. You're crazy. You, you're hearing stuff and then all of a sudden they all hear it and it's like, am I crazy now, bitch? <laughs> crazy now right oh my god <laughs> so the perfect experiences of like you fucking called me crazy and now you're hearing it too <laughs> i think i did that to you one night when we were sitting in the gym and you were like did you hear that i'm like re i didn't hear a damn thing and then all of a sudden we hear like somebody run up the bleachers and there's nobody there but us so i'm like i heard it that time and you're like i, I told you i told you <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, I've definitely had those experiences before. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but th this was the part that got me, and this is why I wish I put it in my notes. Um, so that kept happening, and finally they got creeped out enough that they're like, okay, we need to just go home. Like, whatever. We were just chilling and chatting. Let's just go home. So they, they tell one of the, the kitchen employees, I can't remember if it was the chef or one of the cooks, but like, hey, go check and make sure all the stoves are turned off, make sure everything's good to go before we turn off the lights and we lock up for the night. He goes back in, and at the time, he was just like, no, 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 all those stoves were for sure turned off before I left, and I made sure everything was put away, everything's good to go. He goes in there, and all the stoves are turned on. Ugh. <laughs> I don't Guys, like that this is how we all. start fires. No. Right? <sighs> it's a but, very big fire hazard. Yes! I was like, damn, some ghosties trying to, like, start a fire in this place. Yeah, that's the only uh, time I've ever heard about that specifically. None of the other research I did turned up any other experiences of that. So hopefully that was the only time that ever happened. Um, but now I wish I noted it because it was one of the older stories. So it would have been late 1900s. But yeah, I don't know the year off the top of my head. But yeah, that was great. <laughs> All right. Late 1900s. You mean when I was born? <laughs> yes. The, the years of our birth. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, right. I hate that you called it that. It's not the 90s anymore. The 1900s. <laughs> well, I would say the 90s, but more than likely it was probably actually the 80s <laughs> that this happened. So I didn't want to be like, oh yeah, it happened in the 90s. So it's like, no, just kidding. That's a decade off. So that's why I'm like, I'm just going to say 1900s. That covers the whole gamut. That way I don't have to say what decade uh. it was. <laughs> we'll go with late 1900s. There you go. That gives you more of a window. <laughs> okay i'll just sit over here and i'll i'll drink my tea <laughs> my my pills you know <laughs> ah, hydration that felt so good please continue rhiannon <laughs> all right let's wrap up our first floor here <laughs> moving on to the pinion and billiards room Another area that Mr. Stanley has been seen, and I will mention he's also been seen in the main hallways of the hotel. But specific to this room, there has been many people experiencing a sudden onset of the smell of tobacco smoke, and then just as soon as it came about, it would be gone. And one uh, thing to think about when considering that is the pinion room was 
previously the men's smoking room when the Stanley Hotel opened. So this was actually a room that women were not allowed in when the Stanley Hotel opened. It was only for men, and it was so they could smoke. And Mr. Stanley actually didn't approve of smoking and drinking himself, uh, but he understood as a good businessman all his patrons and guests would want to smoke and drink, so he needed to provide some sort of establishment where they could smoke and drink, so he did. Now... Regarding that note of women were not allowed in this room when the hotel opened, Monica Roberts uh, visited in February 2009 as a teenager with her family, and as they were walking around the Stanley Hotel, they made their way into the pinion room, and she just did not feel comfortable at all in this room. She did not feel like she was welcome. So she complained to her family about it, and they just kind of, her, her, I believe it was her father, just kind of cracked some jokes about it at first, but eventually, like, she was just said, you know, I'm getting out of here, I'm leaving. And so she tries to leave the room, and the swinging door slams in her face, almost hitting her. And this is a heavy wooden door. So she bolts out of the room after her mother runs over to make sure she's okay, that she didn't actually get hit by the door and injured. And as soon as she makes it out, the door slams again. Oh, God. Yeah, I was like, okay. You know, when I read that, that that was a room that women were allowed in, and, and nowadays, of course, women are going in and out of that room, I wondered, like, are there any women that have had a weird experience in there? Since back in the day, that would have been a very taboo, you do not come in here kind of situation. And so it was very interesting mm -hmm. to read that, that she had had an experience like that. Now, here's our other mirror. <laughs> So there is an original mirror cabinet in the pinion room. So this was actually part of the original bar when the Stanley Hotel opened up. It's the only remaining part of the bar as during the, around the 70s when it was really run down, people started stealing from the Stanley Hotel and trucking off furniture. It's kind of like Bodie where they were just pulling up their trucks and taking things and, you know, uh, which thank God they hid away the historic piano, the, the Steinway piano, or else that would definitely be gone. Uh, but in any yeah. case, this mirror is all that's left of the original bar, and there's many accounts of reflections of Mr. Stanley, Flora Stanley, and other spirits being seen in the mirror of the bar. There's also uh, an account of uh, one young boy was in the room, and he actually saw a full pool game being reflected in the mirror, even though there was no pool table set up, and his father said at that age he had never seen pool being played, so like he knew what a pool table was, but he didn't know how it was played, and he could clearly describe <laughs> what the men were doing in the mirror, and got actually really upset that his father wasn't also seeing it, and ended up running out of the room upset. Uh oh. Yeah, I was just like, oh, poor kid. I'd probably freak out, too, if that was me as, like, a 10-year-old or whatever that would have been. <laughs> like, why aren't you seeing this, Dad? And Dad's probably standing there like, what the hell are you seeing? I know, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, that always gets me the stories of, like, oh, yeah, the kid's, like, describing in full detail this whole thing. And the parents are just like, what the fuck are you looking at? And why am I not seeing it, too? Oh my gosh. But speaking of pools, since this was historically, uh, or the billiards room that's coming off of the pinion room, I mean, that's historically was where all the pool was played. Uh, there has been reports of the sounds of pool being played in the room, uh, even though there's no billiards tables in it at the time. 
And another thing that goes on specifically in the billiards room is there's been a couple uh, reports of apparitions of Native Americans walking through the billiards room, which is interesting because that's the only mention I really hear of as far as spirits go of Native Americans in the Stanley Hotel. But I found at least two different reports of visitors seeing a Native American spirits walking through the billiards room, which I mean... It was definitely Native American land before the Stanley Hotel ever came around, so I can't say I'm, like, super surprised, but it was just an interesting thing to read about. Hmm. And now, to wrap up uh, this part one, we'll quickly go over the elevator. So, the elevator in the hotel is the actual original elevator that was put in when the hotel first opened, so it's a hydraulic system based elevator it's not um run like our elevators nowadays uh, so it's actually very interesting very uh picturesque if i may say so myself <laughs> so definitely do some googling and look up photos of it because it looks super cool but in any case as with everywhere else in the stanley hotel there is paranormal things going on in the elevator too <laughs> uh so in 1983 a bellman uh which I believe I actually brought him up one of his stories previously, Mark Lorenz reported that the elevator was operating by itself and he could even see the controls moving. And one unique thing about these hydraulic elevators is it's not like our elevators nowadays where you can just push a button and it comes to you. Uh, it, the way it worked was a bellman had to bring the elevator to you. It could not operate by somebody just pushing a button on another floor. So the fact that it was operating itself, somebody had to be moving the controls in the elevator to get it to do anything at all. So that was uh, pretty compelling for sure. That is some, that's some evidence there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Much more recently in 2013, uh, Mr. Dan Mitchell visited in October and was in the elevator and he saw the apparition, or I guess I should say he was going to get into the elevator. <laughs> and as the elevator doors opened, he saw the apparition of a little girl with her hair in ringlets and just wearing this old-fashioned dress standing in the elevator, not moving. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I'll take the stairs. Yeah, I, gonna, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. If I'd be like, oh, a cute little girl, or if I'd just be like, eh. <laughs> I mean, child spirits can be cute, but they can also be absolutely terrifying. And I'm usually kind of on the fence of which one are you going to be? I don't know. <laughs> I'm never fully sure about kid ghosts. Like, I, I don't know. It's probably from more media sources, but like some of them, yeah, they're okay. But for the majority, if I don't know you and I don't get a good vibe off of you, you're a demon. Okay. You're a demon in disguise. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I definitely don't like the idea that bad things can try to disguise themselves as innocent things, so I definitely get a little wary of very obviously innocent things like child spirits, so for sure they definitely uh, make, make me a little spooked, for sure. Agreed. Agreed. And then uh, finally for the elevator, uh, this one I don't have a year on, so I'm not sure exactly when it occurred, but Pastor Winford SC was getting ready to uh, go down to the basement. They're actually in the elevator this time on the fourth floor and wanting to go to the lowest floor. But instead of going to the basement, it just went down one floor and stopped on the third floor. 
And it opened up, and a maid dressed in old-fashioned clothing was standing there in front of the elevator, staring at him. <laughs> this guy's just not having good good luck with the elevator. Maybe, yeah, the elevator's not. just not not doing it. <laughs> Needless to say, at that point, he did get off the elevator and was like, "I'm taking the stairs." <laughs> Which I don't know what I would have done, because in order to do that, you would have had to cross by the old-fashioned old looking maid. But at the same time, I'm not sure I'd want to stay on the elevator if something spooky is controlling where it's going. So at that point, it might just be better to take the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Well, let's wrap up part one right there. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. I know we didn't get into a whole lot of the spooky stuff yet. Uh, I was hoping to at least hit up uh, room 217 to to at least give you a taste of the Stephen King room. But we didn't make it that far. But that's okay. Come back (laughs) next week for part two. That just means you have that much more to look forward to. (laughs) So please join us again. Yeah, it's all spooky stuff then. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And as always, feel free to hit us up on social media or send us an email about what you think about Stanley Hotel Part 1 and what you're looking forward to next episode. See you next time. Thank you again for listening to Haunting Cases Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunting Cases Podcast and on Twitter at Haunting Cases. If you have a listener tale, story request, or any questions, email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, what do you say, listeners? Are you haunted too?